Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn it to Romans chapter 6, and we're going to continue our study from that book, from that chapter. Uh, I pray that you will be blessed by a study of God's Word today. As the parable said that Robert shared with us this morning in class, those who have ears, let them hear. And I know you have ears, so I pray that you will be listening and making some application to this uh, study that we're going through today. I want to thank those who sent me text and um, phone calls, even a couple of personal visits that I had last week, uh, making comments on the lesson. And if you do have anything that you'd like to share with me personally, I do have an email, sermonthoughts at yahoo.com. You can use that. And uh, if you have any lengthy, anything lengthy that you'd like to send, I, I welcome any comments that you might have. Uh, last week, we talked about the crossroads of life. And these are times in our lives where we come to either two or more decisions. We have a decision to make. And the decision that we make at those crossroads will determine the course of our lives. It will determine the friends that we have, the direction that we take. And we looked at that and applied it to Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, where baptism is like a crossroads. You've come to a decision point in your life. And it's at that point where we enter into that relationship with Christ, when we make that decision to follow him, where we're baptized into him, that our new life begins. We're on a new road. We're on a new journey. And it takes us down a road that would have been totally different than anything else we would have done. It, it affects the whole of our lives. And because of that choice that you make to become one with Christ, to become a Christian, you'll have experiences, you'll have conversations, you'll have friends, new family. You'll come to know things that you would have never known otherwise going down that road as you made that life-changing decision. Now, as we walk down the road of life, we come to what I call golden moments, golden moments of our lives. And these are memorial times that in our lives that really aren't crossroads, but they are points that, they, they don't change our life, but they're, they're highlights, they're wonderful moments, moments that create memories, uh, moments that sometimes are sweet in our minds or inspirational, uh, thought-provoking, happy moments of our lives. And these moments glitter in our minds that when we bring them back, it's like sunshine on, on the ocean, on, on water. They're golden moments. And there was one such moment that I want to share with you that goes all the way back to 1964 or 1965. And I know that dates me, and, but I was about eight or nine years old at the time. And I was walking on a beach in Nelson, New Zealand. Uh, my parents were missionaries in Wellington, New Zealand, and my dad had been asked to fly over or go over. I don't remember how we got from the North Island to the South Island of New Zealand. But he was asked to go over and, and fill in for a, a preacher uh, one Sunday. And he had taken me to go with him uh, as an eight or nine-year-old. 
I heard him preach that Sunday morning, and then we went to our host house. We had lunch together. And probably if it hadn't been for what he had done on that beach walk together Sunday afternoon, I, I doubt if I have any memory at all. But he created a, a golden moment for me. He was going to preach on Romans 6, 1 through 4, that evening. And as we walked along the beach, he looked at me and said, hey, why don't we memorize this together? And so we, we just, we, he spent time helping me learn Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. And I still know those four verses in the King James Version 56 years later. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, so that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we may walk in newness of life. Fifty-six years later, I, have, I, I, don't, I don't go over that, but that golden moment uh, burned those four verses in my mind. You know, you don't purposefully create golden moments. Instead, you purposefully live, and then the moments are created. And Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11, give us the structure for purposeful living. When we live with purpose, when we live with a reason, our lives will be filled with golden moments on a spiritual plane. I want to read those uh, verses with you. I'm only going to read verses 5 through 7 because that's what we're going to cover today. But this thought continues through verse 11, which will continue next week. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. As I look at those verses, the main point of verses 5 through 11 is purposeful living involves knowing two facts and then acting on that knowledge. We're going to be shown by Paul here two facts and then we need to learn how to act on that. You know, we all want to live with purpose. We want to live really not for fame or for glory, but purpose. We want to go through life with a reason. We want to live where we can look back on our life and say, I had, I had a reason to do those things. I had purpose in my life. I had direction. And so as we look at this, these two points structurally are stated in verse 5. If you go to verse 5, you'll see that the two points are laid out for us, these two purposes for living. And then verse 6 and 7 explain the first point, and verse 8 through 11 explain the second. We're going to look at the first today, as I said, and then the second next week. But let's read again verse 5, and we're going to look at this concept of purposeful living. Where he says, if 
we have been united with him like this in his death. That's our first point. Now, verse 5 that we just read is obviously connected to verse 4. In, in, when Paul wrote this, he didn't write it in verses. And so we can see it in the, in the context. But there's a word there not found in the NIV. The NIV chose not to use this word that really connects it to verse 4. And it's the word, F-O-R, for. In uh, that word means, in view of the fact, in view of the fact that you, at your baptism, were united with him. In view of that fact, because you can see that I was united with him in, in his death, then he says you also be united with him in his resurrection. That's the second point. So this purposeful living is anchored in knowing and living according to what you know. It is in knowing and in living according to what you, you know. If you think about baptism, it is a physical event that really helps you remember something. This physical event of an immersion in water helps you remember and know who you are. In the past, I've stated this many times because it's so important. Who are you? Uh, how does God see you? Because that, that gives you your identity. However you think God is looking at you, how he views you, how he thinks of you, will affect you how you live. If you think you're a tough person, you're going to act like a tough person. If you think you are uh, a helpful person, you're going to be helpful. And so how you look at yourself, how you think of yourself, is so important in how you act. And how you think of yourself needs to be based in reality. It needs to be based in truth. It needs to be really who you are. And if you operate out of who you really are, then you're going to live the way you should. Tim, my, my buddy that I mentioned to you last week from Dallas, the, ta- the, the, the Texan, cowboy Texan, who really made a, a cha- uh, uh, helped me so much in my life, he called me uh, in one of our conversations and he asked me this question. He said, how do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? And I thought he was, he was setting me up. How do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? And I thought for, I think, about five seconds, and then I said, well, because of his resurrection. I, I know he's the Son of God because of his resurrection. And if you think about that, he said, yeah, it's true. His death, his burial, and his resurrection, that's how you know that he is the Son of God. You know, if a real death, if a real death did not occur, if a real burial did not occur, if a real resurrection did not occur, then I couldn't know, we could not know that Jesus was God in the flesh. You see, our faith is tied to a historical reality. The basis of my faith is tied into this historical reality that there was a man named Jesus who died, who was buried, and who was resurrected. That shows that he was God's Messiah, that he was divine. 
And if you can disprove that, then our faith is in vain. And so it's rooted, my belief that Jesus is the Son of God is rooted in that historical event. Then Tim went on to ask this question. How do you know that you're a child of God? And that's a good question. How do you know that you're a child of God? Because, you know, sometimes I don't feel like I'm a child of God. Sometimes I don't act like I'm a child of God. Sometimes events in my life make me question and wonder, am I, am I really a child of God? Was I, did I really turn to God many years ago? Or was that just something that was just fake? And so the question is, how do I really know? And, and the, the answer to that is the same as how you know that Jesus was the Son of God. You know it because you had a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Your death, your burial, your resurrection shows you, anchors you in the fact of who you are. You are God's child. It's, it's kind of like a wedding ceremony. I don't know about you guys, but when I was married, the first few months after I was married, I struggled with the identity of being a husband. It was new, and it was weird. Uh, I, sometimes I didn't feel like a husband. Uh, I, I felt awkward, and I'm, I'm trying to learn what it's like to be in this relationship. But the times that I questioned and wondered and struggled with my identity as a husband, I was anchored in that marriage ceremony, the time when I said, I do, and I knew Yes, I was a husband. I was married. It's kind of like the day of our birth. We don't remember the day of our birth, but that ushered us into a physical reality, into this physical world. And so in the same way, our baptism brings us into a reality of being in Christ, of being united into his death. And so in those times that I question and I wonder and I struggle, I can remember that time I was put underwater. I remember that commitment, and it anchors me in that reality of a, of a relationship with God. His death was our death. His resurrection was our resurrection, and his life is our life, and we're going to see how that works in a minute. Now, to live purposefully means that we're crucified with him, and we see this stated in, in the in uh, the first part of uh, verse 5. And then in verse 6 and 7, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You know, it's ironic. It's uh, even really nonsensical in some ways to say, in order to truly live, to live purposefully, you first must die. But that's what he's saying here. And here's something, if you're not listening to this point, I want you to listen to this. He's not saying you have to die. He's telling Christians, you've already done it. And this is important. You've already done it. This is key. And this will be exciting to your Christian life when you realize that he's not saying, now, as a Christian, you have to keep on dying. What he is saying is, 
God has done this for you. One of the hardest things for Christians to believe is what God has already done for you in Christ. It wasn't your decision to crucify yourself. It wasn't your decision. It was, it, it was your decision to follow him, and following him caused your death. In view of the fact that when in faith you are baptized into his death, you were joined with him in his death, and most people don't even realize this. Oh, when you became a Christian, when you were baptized into Christ, you believed, well, my sins were washed away, and you felt great about that. You felt wonderful. You realized that you were forgiven, really forgiven by God for the first time. But you didn't realize, most did not realize, that at the same time, you joined Jesus on the cross. Verse 6 tells you that where he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Now, this is, this is hard to, to uh, understand, and it's difficult to explain, but this is the way I'll explain it. There is this mystical union that takes place in baptism. Now, I hesitate to describe it as mystical because the Bible doesn't use that word, first of all. And most people think of fairy tale magic when you say mystical. And it's not that at all, but it is something mysterious, and the Bible does use the word mysterious. There's something mysterious that goes on. And we can understand this in other areas of our life. In, for instance, marriage again. There's this mystical union that takes place in marriage. And there's this oneness that takes place between a husband and a wife that goes far beyond the physical union that takes place. There's this kind of weaving of personalities and the longer you're married, the more you see this, where you're, you're thinking alike, uh, you, you're, you're on the same page so many times. Uh, some people may even say, you know, you look alike. You begin to take on similar expressions and similar ways of doing things. There's this mystical union that takes place in a marriage situation. We see it in the adoption of a child. Uh, when a child is adopted into his family, there's this union that that child comes into that is hard to explain. And I know this from personal experience. Uh, our adopted daughter, I, I rarely think of her as adopted. Only when I begin to speak of adoption do I remember that she's adopted. And I'll give you an example. There's been times that her children, as I look at her children and I see how they act, I think, well, they must have my genes. They're, they're acting like me genetically. And then I realized genetically they aren't related at all. And yet there's this union with that family that I look at them and I see how they act. And I even have, have times people have come up to Angel and said, oh, you look so much like your mother. Or you look like your dad. And she has no genetic connection at all. But there's this mystical union and adoption that we understand. And that's what's happening in baptism. We see it in a sports team, if you've ever played sports. You know, I played with some guys in high school, play basketball, play football. And some of these guys were jerks. I don't like them at all. Uh, they were mean. They, they wouldn't, they wouldn't um, uh, share. They, they, would, they would hog the ball and things like that. But there were times when we, were pl when we would play that things would just start to click. 
And we were operating as a team. It was mystical. It was, in, we call it in the zone. There was this mystical something going on. All the personalities of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, thinking bad about one another, of selfishness toward one another, disappeared as we clicked as a team and worked as a team and, and played as a team. And so this is, we understand this mystical union. So don't think of it as something so weird out there. But we have this mystical union with Christ. When we, when we come to God in faith, we are grafted into a mystical union with Christ. And that word united that is there in verse 5, in the NIV says united, is a totally different word from Ephesians 4 where it talks about unity there. It's a whole different word. It, it's, in fact, this word is only used once in the New Testament right here in Romans chapter 6. And it means to grow together. It means to, to grow together like a graft, like you, you take a plant uh, from, one, from one plant and you graft it into the tree as I have on the screen there. You graft it into the, uh, a branch of another, uh, of another uh, tree that's growing and grafting in, it begins to take the nourishment from that tree and, and produces uh, its, its own fruit. And so we're interlinked here. When we're baptized into Christ, there's this grafting that takes place. We're, we're put together. Now, we don't literally die. It says we're united with him in his death. We don't literally die there. But there's a spiritual death that, goes, that takes place. Paul explains that, he says, it's a likeness of his death. He uses that word, likeness of his death. Something similar happened to us at baptism as what happened to Christ on the cross. When Christ died on the cross, we at our baptism, something similar happened to that. What was that? Paul describes it as the old self. Or the old man, he says, the old self or the old man was crucified, verse 6. For we know that the old self was crucified. Uh, and this brings up the question that, I've, that many people have asked me over the years. They'll say, if I was crucified with him, according to this, if I died with him, if my old self died with him on the cross, why do I still struggle with sin? Why do I still sin? It seems to me that if the old self, the old sinful self died, it's dead. It shouldn't, there should be no life left in it. And the answer is found in the same verse, but you have to think about it. He says, so that the body of sin is to be done away with. And we're going to explain that as we go along. You see, in the Christian life, there's this tension. It's a constant tension between what is true, what is happening now, and what hasn't happened yet. Between the now and the not yet. It's between something's already a fact, and yet there's something to come. There's a process to come. The fact is this. You died to sin. You died to its dominion. We saw last week the word here means you, you're no longer, uh, you no longer habitate. You no longer have your home under the roof of sin. That's what that means. Now the fact is true that you no longer, sin is no longer 
has his domicile over you. It no longer has his dominion over you. And so Paul says, you are no longer slaves to sin. Hmm. You are no longer slaves to sin. Literally, it says, you are no longer slaves to the sin. He doesn't say you're no longer slaves to sinning, the doing sinful acts, but he says you're no longer slaves to sin. This is what I think he means by that. The sin, and we talked about this last week, is the sin of Adam. Adam sinned when he said, you know, I believe I, am be- I can be like God. I believe Satan. He says, if I eat this fruit, I can be like God. I can be my own God. I can live for myself, for my selfish self. I can, I can be the center of my own universe. And that's what the sin is. That you live for yourself, you live for me, you are the center of your universe. But when you came to Christ, you realized that's not true. God is the center of the universe. You changed houses, as we looked at last week. You changed masters. The Bible says you were renewed, you were born again, you were bought with a price. And all of these show your spiritual position is in this complete transfer transference from one place to another. You've gone from one kingdom to another. And you know this. You know this in your life because when you find yourself sinning, when you find yourself involved in a sin, you're uncomfortable. And I know that's true because there's so many times when people come to me for, quote, counseling. And what it is, they're struggling with a sin and they don't like it. They don't want to do it. They, they want to put this away. It's giving them fits in their heart, in their mind, in their emotions. And it's not just what it's, uh, how it's affecting them. They know it's wrong and they want to do something different. And so they come to me and they say, how can I get rid of this? You say they're involved in a sin, but they're not in the, the house of sin. And, be, and because they're not in that house of sin, because they're, in the, they're abiding in Christ, Sin tears them up. They're uncomfortable in it. They want to put it aside. And that's what he's talking about here. So he says, now, you take this spiritual reality in your spiritual life that you are dead to the sin. And you begin to make it a reality in your physical life. You begin to, this process of change in your life. You begin to, Look at what you've been doing and you say, I'm putting that aside and now I'm going to live in a different way. You still have the desires. You now have the desire and the power to say no to following the desires of your body. That's what he means by the body of sin. It's a physical body. The physical body, the comfort level that we want in our body, the desires that we want in our body drive us to do wrong things at times. But he says, now that desire is gone away to just follow the desires of the body, that body of sin. You've entered, you've centered your life in what God wants you to do. And you're, you're trying to tell your, you're telling your feelings, no, I know that's wrong and I'm not going to follow the body of sin, the body of my desires. You came to a crossroads in life and you chose the pathway of God. If you're a Christian, you came to that point of your life and it was a crossroads where you had to make a decision 
and you made that decision, you're going to follow Christ. And if you're not there, I encourage you to do so. You're at a crossroads right now, at a time in your life where you, you can choose between following Christ or following yourself. And so I encourage you to do that. And these verses that we're looking at this week and next week really show us the golden moments that happen in our lives. How do golden moments happen? We don't choose golden moments. They just happen in our lives. The golden moments of your Christ walk happen when you choose life decisions. And I put that in capital letters, life decision, Christ decisions. When you choose to follow your new Lord and not the ways of sin. The golden moments happen in right living, right choices, that you now have the freedom in Christ to choose. Verse 7 says this, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That word freed is the word justified. For anyone who has died has been made just as if they had never sinned. That's what justified means. For anyone who has died, and remember, if you're a Christian, you have died. You died at your death, burial, and resurrection. Anyone who has died has been made just as if they had never sinned. When you live in the reality that God has made you clean, that he has made you just as if you had never sinned, which means that he has made you just as if you were Christ, then why would you ever purposefully stoop down to that former lifestyle again? It doesn't make sense. Of course, what you want to do is learn how to live in newness of life. Living with purpose in life, living in joy and abundance, living with a good and holy determination and a hope for a forever relationship with God begins with death. And God did that for you in Christ. You didn't have to kill yourself. You died when you were buried with Christ in baptism. And now we need to li learn to live out that reality, live that out with purpose. I want to read my paraphrase to you again. We're going to back up to verse 1 so we can read it in the context and go through verse 7. What shall I say to this? Should I live under the same roof as sin just so that there will be a superabundance of grace? Ridiculous. I forever left the dominion of sin. How can I say it's still my home? It is quite clear that when I was immersed into Christ Jesus, I was plunged into his death and bonded to every benefit of his death. For, <laughs> thank you. Let me connect the dots for you. Through a dipping underwater, I was buried with him into death. This began a total separation from my old life. Christ was raised out from the dead by the magnificent majesty of the Father. In exactly the same way, I am also raised up like him so that I might live my new life in a uniquely new way. In view of the fact that my baptism intertwined me with him into a mirror image of his death, 
I will certainly experience a similar likeness of his resurrection. Thus, experience, thus experiencing this, the old me was crucified with him. The express purpose of that crucifixion was so that the life of selfish me might be completely defective. Thus, I am no longer slavishly devoted to sinful me. For having experienced this death, God's judgment pronounced me just as if I had never sinned. I hope that you're blessed realizing what God has created, how God, what God has made you. That God has created you perfect in Christ. God has created you just as if you had never sinned. And now he calls us, begin to learn to live that way. Thank you.